This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. There's a, a term that's used in business often. It's called a disruption or disruptive technology, just disruptive innovation, uh, a disruptive business model. For example, it, it's, it causes displacement. When, when Walmart years ago came into uh, small towns across America and brought their huge stores in there, they began to displace a lot of the mom and pop uh, businesses that had been there. They, they were very much of a, a disruptive uh, force in retail. Amazon was very disruptive when they came in and just kind of took bookstores out of the equation. Of course, right now they're taking everybody out of the equation. They're huge, and, and this is disruptive. And so it displaces. But disruption also means to cause disorder and a lack of, of continuity. I, I think that these times that we're living in are very disruptive times. And one of the challenges that we've seen is we have seen that, that this concept that what's going on has disrupted, it has caused disorder to come in a lot of our, uh, well, a lot of our, our rhythms of life, our routines, our sense of what's regular. I heard someone talking the other day, said, I just wish things would get back to normal, back to the way they were. I, I don't know that that normal is, is the way it used to be. It's been disruptive. This is the fourth part of our series called How to Navigate These Crazy Times. And I'll talk this morning about rising above disruption. The idea that our routines and things have been wrecked, if you look at it, it, it they have been. For example, work. If you look at people right now, there are some people, especially our medical staff, they're working too much. Some people are working too little or not at all. Some people are working from home, and that is incredibly disruptive. Great stories have come out about children interrupting meetings and, and spouses walking past the cameras with the, not as much clothing as they should. It's been very disruptive in terms of working from home. How about our play and our entertainment? Well, they've revised sports. I have no idea what's going on now in the sports world. I have no idea what's going to be going on in terms of what's happening in the, in the future. Even the idea of where we go to, to, have, uh, to work out. Now you've got a lot of people working at home. That's disruptive. And then the big events are gone. Concerts. The big events where we could pack thousands of people in. All that's been disruptive. The social has been disrupted. I won't even go into the schools because I realize that's a sore spot right now for a lot of parents. But the idea of going to the restaurants and the social interaction there has been disrupted. And the fact that uh, family gatherings, now we have to think who's, who's carrying, who's been exposed. A lot of that has been changed. Even church, our spiritual life has been disrupted. And by the way, we get a lot of questions like, when are we going to have church? Some of you have, have asked so kindly, some of you not so much. But here's, here's the thing. Nobody probably wants to have the Ark Church meet again more than we do as a staff. And we, we so much want to be back in person. We understand that. But we also understand that having church is more than just opening our doors and saying, y'all come in. There's a lot of things that have to take place. And we want to make sure that when we come back, we're able to do church safely and to do church well. So as soon as we can do that, I promise you, we're gonna be back. But it's been disruptive and we understand that. People have contacted us and they're like, when? And it's, it's a disruptive situation. So what do we do with the disruption? 
Well, I think one of the goals that, that we're going to have to really think about, and even as a long-term strategy, is that we don't react as much to all the disruption around us. I read a, a quote recently from a, an ex-Navy SEAL, and he said this. I thought it was very interesting. I don't, I, don't, I don't know necessarily if he's a believer or not, but I thought his perspective was good. He said, if you're losing your cool, you're losing. He said, if you've been triggered, or what I would consider set off, and you've allowed someone or something to dictate your emotional state. And that's not where we want to be. We don't want to be where someone else is dictating, where all the, the culture we're living in is dictating to us and it's dictating who we are and how we're to respond. I, I, want to, I don't want to be a, a thermometer people. I, I want to be thermostat people. You know, thermometers tell what the temperature is. A thermostat sets the temperature regardless of what's going on around us. And actually... That's what we're to do. We're to be inwardly motivated. The Apostle Paul from prison wrote this to the Philippians. He said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul was talking about that whatever condition he was in, he talked about having plenty, not having enough. He said he basically has learned to handle whatever state he was. He learned to be inwardly motivated. He wrote that from a prison. In fact, one of his most positive letters was written from prison, the letter to the Philippians. And what we see in Paul is this. When you begin to tap in, we can begin to tap in to God's strength. Then it helps us remain calm and steady right in the middle of the disruption. I've told the story before about when we moved back from North Carolina to Texas. I had come down, gotten a job, bought a house. It was a straight commission job. We didn't have much money. And when I'm, when I'm flying back on the plane to North Carolina to get my family together to move, I, I just was thinking about all the pressure and all the stuff I was dealing with. And I pulled out, I had a little New Testament. I pulled out a New Testament and began to read. And the Lord spoke to my heart as I was reading this passage. He spoke to my heart when I read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and, and the, I didn't hear a voice, but I heard the Lord. The Lord just, I, I got the message when he said this. He said, you don't need less pressure. You need more strength. And I thought, boy, isn't that so true? We got, we got a job to do. We got things to do. I'm not looking for less pressure. I'm looking for more strength to handle that. So we have the ability to do that with God. The ability to be able to handle all the disruptive things that are taking place in our lives. And our model for this has been a man by the name of Daniel. We've looked at his life, and it's been an amazing life. A young man who was taken as, as a teenager from a very sheltered religious environment and put right into the middle of the biggest, most powerful culture and most anti-God culture on earth at that time. And yet Daniel did well and he prospered and he prospered through four different administrations he prospered through all kinds of negative things that went on so we find out from him we, we find a pattern and now I, I want to show you a pattern of Daniel that despite the disruption around him what he did and one of the first things that we see that Daniel did and I love this Daniel rose to a higher level of productivity in the middle of a heathen environment, he rose up to a higher level of productivity. Let's look at this passage here in Daniel 6. It said, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. 
So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I like, I like what it said there. It said that Daniel had an excellent spirit about him. I, I really believe this means that what he did, he did in an excellent way. It, it's a lot more than just simply being nice. I, I'm, I'm sure he was a nice guy, he, he, polite, but not just being nice. What he did, he did with excellence. He did representing God so well. We know it had to be that way because the king was looking to promote him, set him over the entire realm. And we see that God's grace and God's ability empowered Daniel and moved him past his peers, even though he was living in an anti-God society, which is so good. That means in the middle of whatever's going on, God can take us and help us. And by his grace, we can even move beyond our peers. And he gets the glory. We don't get it. But you see also that Daniel had a life that matched up what he believed. He wasn't just talk. His, his life, in fact, they, they kept looking for a way that they could trap him. We got to take this Daniel out. So it's like, well, we can't get him with drugs or alcohol. Can't get him with partying. Can't get him to, he was not corrupt. He was just a very upright man. So they finally said, okay, if we're going to get him, we're going to have to get him concerning the law of his God. Man, I, man, I, I, would, I would love for that to be said about me. You know what? If we're going to take Alan down, we're going to have to take him down because of his relationship with God. Man, that's a, that's, a, that's a mighty good thing to have going on. His life, his beliefs, his talk were congruent. They were all together. So these guys, they're determined to take Daniel down. They came up with this great idea. And they, they went to the king. Say, King Darius, so we've got this great idea. King, here's how it's going to work. For 30 days, King, no one can petition a God or man. The only one they can petition for the next 30 days is you, King Darius. King Darius liked that. Although probably, you think about it, it probably shut down, it shut down all those pagan temples because they couldn't, they couldn't talk to their gods. It probably shut down business. I mean, this was, this was a classic government shutdown. And it shut things down. And this one carried more than a fine with it. This one carried a, a big fine that if they caught you petitioning God or man, they were going to toss you into a den of lions. Now, that's a problem because those lions were kept hungry, and uh, soon, I mean, you show up in the den of lions, you're dinner. And when Daniel found out about it, I love to see the fact that Daniel rose above the fear involved. Look, at, look what happened. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. And prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Now that's a problem for Daniel. But Daniel, when he found out what was written, he, he rose above the fear. He did not allow the king's command to affect his connection to God. He had a great routine. He, he, he had a routine from his early days three times a day. He would pray. He would give thanks to God. And he did not allow that, that the fear of being thrown into a lion's den even affect that. He, he kept that connection. That was a personal connection. It didn't say Daniel stood out in the middle of the street and prayed. He went, he went to his house. But as his custom was, he just opened his, his windows toward Jerusalem and began to pray.
You know, obviously, to Daniel, God was big. You can see it in the fact that he's praying here. You can see it in the fact that it's not a scared prayer. The Bible said he makes supplication and he was giving thanks. But you also see it as you look at Daniel's life. And if you read that, that book of Daniel, you see in Daniel's prayers when he talks to God, he talks to God like, God, you're big. And when he even talks to kings, he is not intimidated by the kings. In fact, one time there was a king called Belteshazzar. He was Nebuchadnezzar's son. And Belteshazzar, through a party, took all the articles from the temple, from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and they had them there in Babylon. He took them, started drinking wine with them. They had a big party. And that's when the hand on the wall started writing, scared Belteshazzar, and they called Daniel in. And when Daniel saw it, Daniel looked at Belteshazzar, and you thought he'd be real kind. And, and he looked at, basically, he said, he looked at him, he said, you have, you, you have praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. He said, and they don't know, they can't see, they can't hear. And the very God who holds your breath in his hands and who owns all your ways, you've not glorified. Now, that takes some guts, isn't it? I mean, you standing before a king, but he's like, hey, hey, king, I, I know what's going on with you. You think you're big and bad, but there's a God who holds your breath in his hands and owns your ways. He's the one you need to glorify. To Daniel, God was big. He was a big God. And the fact that he's giving thanks in the middle of this time and praying, giving thanks, and he's not breaking that connection with God, even though there was a big problem associated with it, lets us know that, man, that was powerful in his life. God was big. And God being big in his life made a huge difference because we see that Daniel was able to rise above a virtually impossible situation. They found Daniel praying, just like they thought they set a trap for him, found him praying, hauled him in before the king, said, oh, by the way, king, this is Daniel. He, he, he was praying, making supplication, but you signed that petition. Remember, you signed that law, king, and you can't back out of it. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. You can't alter it for 30 days. The king was so upset because he knew he, he got played really, really bad, and he was about to lose his best man. And they took Daniel to the lion's den. And, and before he went in the lion's den, the king said to Daniel, he said, Daniel, he said, I know that the God you serve continually, he's going to deliver you. I mean, those, those are good words from a king. Then he went back home. He couldn't even sleep the whole night. In fact, the next morning, the king rushed to the lion's den. And the Bible said he called out in, in a lamenting voice. I mean, see, he said, I know what's happened here. I'm just Daniel. He said, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you? To his amazement, a voice came out of the lion's den, and it was Daniel, very polite. O king, live forever. And this is what he said. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Man, don't you love the fact you see Daniel rise above this impossible situation. He had to believe that God was bigger than those lions or else he would have backed off praying. He just stepped away for a while. Now he believed God was bigger than the lions. He had to believe that God would take care of him that even in the middle of a lion's den, that God could protect him, that God was big. 
And you see that in, in Daniel. You also see that he has the confidence of a heart that's not condemned. I love what he says. He said, King, he said, I've not done wrong before God and I've not done wrong before you. And there's a confidence when you know you're doing the right thing. And God was able to get him out of that lion's den. Now, it's interesting that when he came out of that lion's den, the Bible said there wasn't even a scratch on him. That God sent an angel and shut, the, shut those lions' mouths. Don't you, you know, that still couldn't have been a great night. You're, you're sitting there trying to sleep and there's lions prowling all around you looking at you like, man, I'd eat you. But then there's got to be a big angel right in the middle of the way going, Kitty, I will smack you upside the head if you come this way. So Daniel was protected. He was pulled out of that. There wasn't a scratch on him. I, I love the fact that God delivered Daniel in the, in the lion's den, not from the lion's den. See, a lot of times we go through stuff. And man, we, we, get, we get in the middle of stuff and we're just like, man, why, why am I going through this? Why? Listen, God can deliver us from these situations. He can deliver us from situations. There are situations you'll never have to go through. And then there are situations, if you're going through them, he can deliver you out of them. So when you come out, you're like, man, there's not a scratch on me. Last week we saw the three Hebrew children came out of the fire. They didn't smell smoky. Daniel comes out of the lion's den. There's not a scratch on him. You know, God is still able to deliver us in the middle of whatever we're going through. And we can come out looking good. So how do we rise above the distractions? How do we rise above the disruptions that are in the world today? And there are plenty. How do you rise above it? How do I rise above it? I, I don't want to just live my life constantly reacting to the disruption. How do I get beyond that? Here's the, one of the first ones. And I think this is important. We learned this from Daniel. We need to elevate how we operate. Now, I know that sounds kind of preachery, but, but seriously, we elevate how we operate in life. A number of years ago, they did a, a study uh, Harvard and, excuse me, Yale and University of Michigan did a study and they were looking at people in unglamorous jobs about how they, how they handled it. And they looked at a janitorial staff in a Midwestern hospital. And to their surprise, they found that this non-glamorous job, the people who were there, especially the cleaning crew, took a whole different perspective on it. The cleaning crew didn't see themselves as just simply being cleaners. They saw themselves as part of the professional team a team of healers who are helping make a great environment for the people who are in, the, in that hospital. In fact, after watching this group, the, uh, the group from Yale and Michigan, they, they came up with a new term. They called it job crafting. Job crafting says that they took a job and they added something to it that added value to them and value to the people around them. So in other words, they took their job and elevated it. Listen, if they can job craft, we can life craft. We can take our lives and begin to elevate it. In fact, that's what God has actually called us to, is to live with an excellent spirit, to operate with an excellent spirit. This is what Paul wrote again to the Philippians from prison. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Man, isn't that good? That God's, we have the ability to live excellent, that we can do all things without complaining. Listen, you are a child of an excellent God. 
And I know as a, as a parent, you want your children to represent you well so we can begin to life craft. God, this is not just about my life, but I want to be an example of you. And because your life is in me and your light is in me, I can shine as a light in the dark world. Listen, it's getting darker out there. We need to stop cursing the darkness and simply light our lights up and go, hey, we're here. We've got answers. We've got a different attitude. We're living differently. We're living with an excellent spirit. And one of the best ways, listen, there's enough negativity out there. We don't need to add to it. We need to rise above it. And we're the ones who do things with a great attitude, without complaining, without arguing. And we hold fast to God's word of life. And we stand out living an excellent life. What a great way to go. So that's, that's the first thing. How do, you, how, do you, how do you rise above the disruption? Elevate how you operate. Here's a, here's a second one. Develop a more consistent connection with God. We can't allow the disruption around us to dictate our connection with God. In other words, you know, Daniel, Paul in prison, stinky prison, stayed connected enough to write so much of the New Testament. He stayed connected even in the middle of that situation. So I, how do I stay connected to God? I think we see from Daniel, prayer, giving thanks, I'm going to add to this God's word. All of these are ways to connect. They're ways to connect with God. And as you begin to do that, as you, especially as you begin to give thanks, you're making that connection with him. And so it's, it begins to magnify him. Giving thanks, I'm going to talk about that just for a second. Giving thanks magnifies God and also connects you to him. Oftentimes when we go through disruptive seasons, we're not thinking about magnifying God. We're thinking about all the junk we're going through. Hey, we don't have to stop there. We can magnify him by giving thanks to him and thanking him for what he's done and what he's doing. And as you do that, man, that operates so well. It, it creates in us a, a greater sense of his reality and a greater sense of our connection to him. Someone talked about a great analogy. They said, if, if you give me a, a pail or a big bucket of sand and tell me there are iron particles in that sand, I can take my hand and dig around in the sand and, and look, and I'm probably not going to find too many of those iron particles. But if I take a magnet and I begin to take that magnet and move it through the sand, that magnet attracts those iron particles, and I can pull out a, a magnet full of iron particles. And then this is what they said, and I love this. He said, an ungrateful heart can go through their, scan through their day and miss the blessings of God, miss the presence of God. But a grateful heart is like a magnet. It draws the blessings. It recognizes the blessings. It senses the presence of God. When you begin to give thanks on a regular basis, man, that can make a difference. You know, Daniel was a guy that gave thanks and prayed three times a day. And you think, wow, three times a day, that's a, that's a little bit extreme. Yeah, but he was extremely protected and extremely promoted and he extremely prospered. Listen, guys, during disruptive times, these are the times where we connect with God. These are the times when we draw closer to him and he's able to promote, to protect, and to cause us to prosper, to do well, regardless of the disruptive environment that we're living in. So we've got to elevate, we've got that connection. And here's the last one, put your faith and your confidence in a bigger God. You know, Daniel, to Daniel, God was bigger than the lion's den. God was bigger than the lion's. But listen, his prayer helped tide him into that. When you begin to pray, 
when you begin to give thanks, what are you doing? We're not just, we're not just speaking. We're making a connection to God. And we're expressing our heart before him. Well, and not just expressing our heart. We tell him what's on our heart. That, that's a connection. But then we begin to tell him, God, you're a bigger God. Of late, there's been a phrase that has really stood out to me. And it's, I, I see it throughout the Bible. God, you're the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. And you, and you see different, especially in the Old Testament, you see different saints when they would start off praying. They would start off, Hezekiah prayed. He said, you alone are God. You've made heaven and earth. Abraham said, God is the possessor of heaven and earth. David said, God, you stretched out the heavens like a curtain. You laid the foundations of the earth. And maybe no one said it better than Jeremiah when he said, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm, and there's nothing too hard for you. Listen, I really believe it's going to be good. I'm, I've told you I want to incorporate this into my prayer life. I want to incorporate this. I'm just, not just telling God the problem, not just telling him what's going on. I'm starting off with God. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are a big God. And as the world tries to write God off, I'm going to write him into my life. He's a big, big God. And then here's another thing we can begin to add to it. And Father, you are bigger than blank, fill in the blank. You're bigger than the problem. You're bigger than the economy. You're bigger than the pandemic. You're bigger than what, what teacher my fourth grade child is going to get. You are bigger than job loss. You are bigger than sickness. You are bigger than marital problems. God, you are bigger. As you begin to do that, man, that makes a difference. I had a, had a lady that I worked with at Lakewood years ago. She was a real entrepreneur, especially in the black community. Always wore a hat to church. The woman was serious. And we used to ask her to pray, and she would stand up there. She wasn't big, but she was big on the inside. She would stand up, and she'd say, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And we're like, no, 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 nothing is. And even if it was, we wouldn't tell her. But that's how she started a prayer. Is there anything too hard? We put our faith, we put our confidence in a bigger God. And listen, as you begin to do this, what you're doing is you're expressing how big God is. That doesn't change God. But what it does is it begins to write that on your heart becomes more real to you. The psalmist said this, David said this, Psalms 45. My heart overflows with a good thing. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My tongue is the pen. I'm, I'm, you say, well, we don't have a king. Yeah, we do. We have the kingdom of God and we've got a king of kings and lord of lords. And as I address to him, I tell, I take his word back to him. I take my heart back to him. And I'm expressing, God, you're big, you're powerful, you're strong. You're my, you're my father. What am I doing? I'm not changing him, but I'm writing that on my heart. And in the middle of disruption, in the middle of all these disruptive things, God gets bigger. And that's where my faith and my confidence is. A lady took her little six-year-old son back to her hometown and she went to a candy shop where she used to frequent when she was a, a child. Owner saw her, recognized her, came around, gave her a big hug. Lady introduced her little six-year-old son to the owner and before she left, the owner pulled out a big uh, jar of candy and he held it out to the little guy and he said, get yourself a big handful there. And the little guy didn't make a move. And the mom said, go ahead, you can get yourself a handful. He didn't budge. Finally, the owner of the candy shop reached in, got a big handful, and put it in the little guy's hands. As they walked out the door, the mother looked at her son. She said, you have never been shy before. 
Why didn't you get a big handful of that candy when he offered it to you? And with the wisdom of a six-year-old, he looked up and smiled and said, because his hands are bigger than mine. Let me tell you something, guys. We serve a God whose hands are bigger than ours, whose power is bigger than ours, whose wisdom is greater than ours. We serve a big God. And in the middle of these crazy times, in the middle of this disruptive season, he's our God and he's helping us. He's delivering us. He's promoting us. He's protecting us. He's prospering us. We got a good God. We have plenty to rejoice about. Now, if you're listening to me today and you say, you know what? I don't know that I have a relationship with this God. Boy, you, you, you want that. Or maybe you've been away from him and recognize your need to come back. We're going to say a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and pray this prayer. And now if you're around other people, you don't want to pray it out loud, pray it quietly to yourself. But pray this prayer with us. It's just short, but it's powerful. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now let me pray just real quickly for those of you who prayed that prayer, but also for those of you who today are dealing with this disruption. Father, thank you for those who've stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light and for those who've come back home. Thank you, Father, you welcome them with open arms. Father, for those of us, your children, those of us who know you, love you, who've been walking with you, thank you that you're writing on our hearts and we can write on our hearts how great you are, how big you are, how, how consistent we can be with you and you'll walk with us every step of the way. Thank you for that. We give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Guys, let me, let me bless you before we go. And we encourage you, we, we have Wednesday nights, we're doing Wednesday nights a little different. It's a little bit more of what we call the kitchen table at the ark. It's got some good stuff going on. I encourage you to be a part of that. Thank you for watching, but let me bless you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. We love you. We are praying for you. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about the ark, visit thearkchurch.com.